Welcome back to Golf Drifter, brought to you by GolfDrifter.com. As always, joined tonight by Vaughan and Grant. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, Casey and Grant. Great to be here. Another big week of golf to um, break down and the week ahead. A massive week of sport, full stop. We might even oh, yeah. uh, break down a few other bits and pieces tonight. Uh, awesome. Good evening, Grant. Evening, boys. How are we? Good, good. good. good Excited? Good. Yes, got to, lots of good stuff to talk about tonight. Don't, not yeah. really, don't really want to talk about my golf too much. Um, if, I, if I play any worse, I may well be looking for a Lawn Bowls Drifter podcast <laughs> to join instead of golf, I think. So, I, I actually drove past the Lawn Bowls Club um, up in Walkworth where I'm living now, Enville. I don't know if that's even a word. I, I, I look with envy, I should say, as I drive past. I think I'm I'm just waiting, counting down the days so I can uh, join the Lawn Bowls League. It always looks fun. Hey, um. I mean, so much to talk about tonight, we, but we probably should talk about the biggest news in New Zealand golf, Lydia Ko, bronze medal, Tokyo Olympics, now the the most, I guess, the most gifted golfer we've probably ever had, but certainly the most decorated Olympic golfer of all time, two medals, congratulations Lydia. Vaughan, I'm going to head straight to you with the Olympics, you uh, were pretty uh, scathing in your reviews of the men's golf tournament, what changed this week, did you enjoy it more? Without a shadow of a doubt, I enjoyed it more for many, many reasons. And without a shadow of a doubt, having Lydia Co home home uh, product actually being in the mix, that did definitely help. There's, there's no doubt about it. The actual tournament itself was just more exciting. I know Nellie Corder was, felt like she was in front for about two weeks, but there was periods in that last round, you know, where Lydia um, pulled pulled even with her and there was other people in contention coming down 17 and 18 with the, the weather delays and what was going to be potentially happening there it made for intrigue I loved simple things the excitement of of them actually winning their medals they looked like it meant something to them the fact that there was other players out on 18 waiting for them stuff like that it just made a it just made a bit of a difference to to the men's game and yeah I, I thoroughly enjoyed it Thoroughly enjoyed it. Yep. Conspiracy theory time, though. Do you think you just enjoyed it more because New Zealand was in the mix? I, I don't think there's any doubt that that was a contributing factor. Um, had Lydia not been in it, I still think I would have enjoyed it more than the men's. But, yeah, uh, I, without a shadow of a doubt, I enjoyed it that little bit more because I wanted to let, see Lydia win. Absolutely. Well, look, and she, you can't fault her performance. I mean, she played very well Once. all week. Um, I mean, she's she's definitely back in, in the sort of form that she probably, well, she's not the most dominant player in the world as she was a few years back, but I think that's probably more a reflection of the rest of the golfing world, you know, just being a bit deeper. You know, she was a, a real phenom there when she started, but she certainly looks capable of, of winning any tournament. I was personally blown away by how far she was hitting it. I always sort of thought of Lydia yeah. Coe as a as sort of an average to, to probably short hitter, but I really felt like she was getting stuck into it. But no, I've definitely got a few thoughts on the tournament, but Grant, did you manage to catch much of it? I did, yeah, saw a, a reasonable amount of the final round, certainly towards the end. Lydia Coe is definitely a much longer hitter now than she was previously. Um, before she went to David Ledbetter, she was renowned as being very, very accurate, but not a long hitter at all. And I know that's something that he he worked very hard on on trying to increase her distance. Um, and, and I think possibly at the cost of a little bit of accuracy, um, I'm not sure what she's done now, but she is definitely longer. The tournament she won a few months ago, she was noticeably as long, if not longer, than many, many players in the field. So I'm sure that is helping her. As far as that, that the final day went, I did just really enjoy it. I enjoyed it far more than the men's event. And 100% has to do with the fact that you've got a horse in the race. You're always going to enjoy the event more if that's the case. But it wasn't just that. It was, it was the depth of field. It was nearly quarter winning, seeing his sister coming onto the green to celebrate with us. Like you say, Casey, seeing those other players around. There's just a real sisterhood that they have, I think, within that tour. Um, I know that they are sometimes treated as sort of a bit like the poor cousins, um, the LPGA tour, as opposed to the men. And perhaps that kind of helps them, them sort of bond together. But there's certainly something they have whereby although it's an individual sport, they play much more as a community together. And you could just tell that from the way they supported each other, competed on that final day. It was just really, really good to see. 
Well, I'm just going to come out and say it. I mean, I can be a little bit scathing of, of female sports at times. Uh, I, I often watch the likes of, I'm probably in trouble for saying this, but the likes of female cricket. And I always think, oh, it always seems like a poor cousin to the men's game. Not as much power, perhaps not as much speed. But I'm going to go out and say it. I'll be brutally honest. I actually think the women's golf, I might be getting a bit more into it than some of the, the way the men play. Those women from, and it's a little bit, probably sounds a little bit condescending, but some of the women from, you know, with a wedge in hand, 150 metres in, I think they actually might be better than the men. Their wedge play is just outstanding. And I don't know whether the length of course is a little bit too easy because it does often seem like they have felt like Lydia had about 120 metres in, damn near in every hole I watch. But their wedge play is amazing. The, the consistency of the golf swing is almost poetic. I think the men's game, as we've talked about many times, is sort of bomb and gouge. But you know, maybe it's got a little bit ugly in some ways. That's what it takes on the men's field. But I'm not sure what you guys think. But I think the woman with a wedge in hand if you could work out how to how to put them in a men's tournament and give them the equal distance, and it could be as simple as a set of tees, you know what? I don't think they'd be far behind winning a tournament if you could somehow create a, a handicap. I completely agree. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into this later on, but why not a mixed team event at the Olympics? How much fun would that be? You could really bring bring some of this into play. How good would it be to, to be seeing Ryan Fox well, hopefully hit it down the middle, but let, and let's just assume that he's having one of those days where he does bomb it down the middle, and you've got Lydia Ko doing um, hitting in a wedge from there. Uh, to me, that sounds like a tremendous Olympic event and a great time to be able to use it. Yeah, the women are so impressive, um, and I think as we've mentioned a few times before, in some ways their swings are more relatable to our owners um, as as golfers ourselves. I just marvel at their consistency. Um, I, I very rarely saw any of them hitting out of the deep, deep rough like like the men were. Impressive, impressive. They just play a different style of game, really, to the men. That they play, I don't know, probably what I would think of as a much more traditional style of game. And because they because they don't have that length and they can't rely on that, they have to rely on other things. They keep the ball in play, and like you say, Casey, their wedge play is a joy to watch. I watch a lot of women's golf. I really enjoy it. I enjoy it just as much as the men's, if not more at times. Um, yeah, as Vaughan said, I, I really think the Olympics would benefit from having a mixed event. Maybe keep the men's and women's as well, run them parallel to each other. I couldn't really understand why we needed to have the men first and then the women, particularly with the women sort of running into the end of the typhoon that was arriving and possibly it would have been a travesty to be honest if it had been cut short to 54 holes that would have been a bit of a shambles um so yeah i would really like to see maybe the men and women playing their stroke play events together and then move and then moving into um a team's event yeah it'll be interesting i mean i, I certainly think the concept of a team's event is a good one i i think the asking players to play two events and i think the big tours just wouldn't allow it so it'll be some form of interesting scheduling that would be required to to have either everyone on course at one time or somehow you know play a, a shorter event so you could play a men's event a women's event and a combined event look i think there's there's something there i mean you certainly could go to a place with 36 holes maybe you could play some qualifying um as men and women and come together for the final round i'm not sure i mean there's there's holes in the team event also in the sense that i think it would eliminate some countries from competing which would be a shame um, but at the same time, look, I think anything that makes golf more exciting uh, is a good thing. So, I mean, that, that's my question for you guys. Where to from golf from here? Is it a, we've discussed this for three or four weeks now, is it just a time thing for golf to become, you know, a huge part of the Olympics or, or I guess for the Olympics to become a huge part of golf? Or, or do you think it has to be a format change? Format change without a shadow of a doubt. And I do believe that the shorter format would work really well in, in the Olympics. If you look at other, what I guess you'd consider major professional sports that are in the Olympics, um, I look at basketball. It's a shorter game in the Olympics than it is in, in the NBA. If you look at, you know, rugby, it's not, it's not a full 15, 15 on 15 game over 80 minutes. It's sevens over a very short period of time. Why do we have to play 72 holes of stroke play? It's exactly the same as what we see week in and week out all the way throughout the year. Change the format. And you know what? I think that the shorter format takes away some of those um, worries that you have, Casey, about eliminating some of the smaller countries because the shorter format keeps them in play a little bit longer. So 
yeah, I mean, there's lots of ways to potentially skin it, but I like the idea of a couple of formats. I like the idea of uh, potentially shorter shorter tournaments. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, well, you, you jump in, Grant. I've definitely got some thoughts on that. Yeah, look, I, I have come around a bit, to be honest. If you'd talked to me, well, as we did talk after the men's tournament, I was very sceptical. Maybe I'm still bathing in the afterglow of Lydia <laughs> getting her um, medal, but I, I do think golf has got a, a part to play at the Olympics moving forward. And I, I think you're right, Casey, in that as the gen, as there's a generational change, that will certainly help um, with, the, with the players wanting to take part more. So, yeah, I, if, if they can find some way of having a team aspect in there as well, um, maybe changing the format up, I certainly do think it has got a future. Yeah, look, I think we need eight years. That's my a number. I've said it a couple of weeks ago, but I think eight years from now between Paris and Los Angeles with some real fans. I think that's how long we need to really understand its future. I don't believe there's any serious motion being made for a format change, and that could simply be a case of logistics and needing to fit the tournament in. They may feel that the only option is a 72-stroke stroke stroke by tournament. Um, who knows? But look, I think the good thing is it does feel like there's something there, and, and I was impressed by seeing more of the the men discuss glowingly the Olympics. I mean, even Xander, who we criticised a little bit the week before for personality, I feel like you saw more of his comments come out in social media. So, look, I just think the guys just getting a little bit more into it and hopefully dragging the other guys into the event uh, in four years' time or three years' time will be super important. Um, anything else from the Olympics that, uh, that jumps to mind? It's over now. I certainly have looked forward to a couple more. I've had a couple of better nights sleep this week. Um, anything else that stands out for you guys in the last few days? So much good Olympic action. Um, a few things stood out to me since we uh, last convened. Um, I don't know if you saw the Georgian super heavyweight uh, weightlifter. Yes, very impressive. Pretty much oh. lifted. Uh, everyone else was pretty much done, right? Before he got everyone up. else was done. Everyone else had completed all their lifts. And then he calmly strolled out with an extra 20 kg on the, on the bar, lifted an Olympic record first up as if, it, it meant nothing. Then put another, I think it was 10 or 15 kgs on, broke the world record, and then put another 10 or 15 on it again and broke it again and just sauntered back as if it was just a, a lazy day at the park. It was honestly one of the most incredible things we've ever seen. Um, he was very impressive. Um, and on the last day, something I saw, which I had an immediate negative reaction to, but I've kind of changed my stance on it. I don't know if you saw the um, the last bout of karate, um, which you could debate whether it should be there or not. Um, there was a, a gentleman there who, uh, from Saudi Arabia, who cleanly knocked out his opponent in the final with a wonderful kick to the to the head. Um, celebrated, thought he'd won the match, and immediately got disqualified by the judges um, for kicking him with too much force. Um, when the guy woke up, uh, he got told that he'd won the gold medal. But what, and, and I was furious about this and thought it was one of the greatest travesties in the history of sport. Um, but I've changed my stance on it by the reaction from the guy from Saudi Arabia. Now, Saudi Arabia's never won a gold medal at the Olympics, so they've got every right to be outraged. And he took it. To say that he took it like a trooper has got to be one of the greatest understatements. He, he basically came out and said he completely understands the decision of the judges, that they've made the right call, and he's delighted to have won a silver medal and said not one negative thing about it all, and full credit to the, to the guy who won the gold. He's taken a lot better than I would have, boys, how, I can tell you. I would how, be raging. How do you compete in a combat sport uh, where, and, and, and be disqualified for kicking somebody too hard in the head? I, I'm, I don't know. The, the words that were used in the articles I've read is too much force. Um, mm. I, I don't understand... Um, I believe that it is not at this stage in the Olympics for Paris. Mm. And if that is the lasting impression uh, to the general public, I imagine it will not be making it. Mm. Mm. But kudos to the guy from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. My goodness, what a reaction. Well, I think, my... uh, well I was going to jump in there about weightlifting because I actually watched that too with a slightly different lens and that was of the Kiwi guy, David uh, Letty, lifting, who uh, lifted his personal best in the clean and snatch. And, um, clean and jerk, sorry, clean and jerk. I... I've really come around to the Olympics of enjoying athletes achieving personal bests. And maybe yeah. as a younger mm. kid, all mm. I could see was medals. And I think the medals are, they come with a, obviously the glory, but I've really come around to, to seeing the joy of people competing to the best of their ability. Cause I know there's certain athletes and he's a good example. You know, he may come back in four years time and maybe win a bronze, but 
a guy like him or our, our marathon runners, they just simply aren't going to win an Olympic medal. And to achieve a personal best and enjoy that, um, I thought was was pretty impressive. So I've really come around to enjoy that. Probably for yep. the first time in Olympics, I've found joy in that, watching guys realise that they can peak and, and I guess taking achievement from that. And I think New Zealand had something like 90% of our athletes finished in the top 16, which was sort of the, the mandate from the NZIOC in terms of selection. So I, I guess I get your thoughts on that, how difficult it must be for an athlete to know they can't win a medal. Do you think you could personally get up for a competition that, that finishing – I don't know, seventh and eighth is considered a good result. Yeah, I do. I mean, let's put it in a golf context. If I'm playing in the club champs, realistically, I know in my division, I'm, I've probably got no chance of winning. But do I enter anyway? Yes. And we've, we've discussed at length the travails I often have. But what do you, yeah, you have to have personal goals that you're, um, aiming for and if you achieve those then there's a good feeling in that so yeah I I absolutely can see understand why those people would be there if like you say they don't necessarily have a chance to win a PB to them should be celebrated I I completely agree like some of my best New Zealand moments in the Olympics were just those people you speak of and I know we spoke about it last week the guy finished 10th in the high jump Mm. I thought that was I thought that was absolutely amazing. Um, the young girl that, you know, is the apparent, to, uh, the heir apparent to, to Dame Valerie in the shot put, you know, I think she ended up finishing sixth or seventh. They are an amazing achievements and we need to celebrate those. Um, I, I take my hat off to, to those guys. Absolutely. I, I, it's incredible. It's on the biggest stage in the world. You're throwing PBs. You're still you're sixth or seventh in the world. Like, that's insane. That's so awesome. Yeah, I guess I, I love it when the people are in their first or second Olympics and they're building to something. I think it's even better when they use yeah. it as a way to get there. I I don't know when you're in your fourth Olympics and you are finishing sort of 16th, whether that's quite the use of our funds. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting topic, the use of funds to support sport in New Zealand, uh, how you get it right. I suppose we have to have quite strict standards around top 16 just because we only have so many funds to go around. But certainly, I think you still have to celebrate those achievements because if you didn't, you know, we just wouldn't send enough athletes to get development opportunities to win medals next time around. So no, no complaints from me on that. Yeah. I'll tell you what I thought was um, possibly, and I don't know whether you guys saw this or not, the worst piece of sportsmanship that I saw of any Olympic coverage I saw, and I, it was the men's marathon. I don't know if you saw that guy knocking the wall. Yes, what I did. absolute disgrace. Has he come out yeah. and said that he, did, he didn't do it on purpose? No, he, he hasn't. Um, and there's been, I know there's been various takes. I would challenge anybody to watch that. And if they can convince me that he didn't do that deliberately, well, good on them. But I thought it was just a total disgrace what he did there. Yes, he did. I'm not sure if you know, didn't see it. Ran through the drink station, didn't he? Essentially held his hand yeah. down and knocked over 20-odd drinks so no one else could get one. And and but and managed to pick up the last one for himself and, and, and claimed that, or the commentators tried to claim that, oh, he, you know, he was just trying to grab one and couldn't. Yeah, right, and drop it, knocking 20 of them over and then managing to pick up one. I don't think so. Oh, yes. I, I'm dying to make a debate in his defence. I really am. Uh, but I can't. The evidence is just too damning, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Casey, you jumping? Interested in your 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 take on the Olympics as someone kind of with a with probably more of a, a sport professional sport background than, than Vaughan and I. What I mean, we did superbly well this time as a as a team, but there are also seems like there's some people coming to maybe the end of their careers. Is this the best week? we can probably hope for 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 a little while now or i mean or is it yeah, I, I maybe going to help us help a few of those people just hang on for one more no i think this is this is right up there i mean never say never but certainly from my my knowledge of what's happening at the next sort of tear down uh, i think there is some concern that and, and concern might not be the right word just some reality checks that that these this sort of mental tally isn't going to be followed time and time again uh, we've had some generational athletes there you know, the Val Adams, the Lisa Carrington's, who may yet go again. Um, but even then, her 200 metre event's not going to be part of it. Um, you know, even some of our sailors, for example, the Chooks and Burlings, you know, they mm. may not come back and compete again. Mm. And sailing was yeah. probably one sport that did disappoint. So, no, I think there is some concern that this sort of performance isn't the norm. 
I think we've got our system set up, so we're probably not going to go back to the horrible days of, of Sydney or Athens where we're winning four or five medals. But, you know, it is going to be tough in New Zealand. We have, um, you know, limited sports we typically win medals in. And the tricky thing is, is funding the top athletes, which we've done very well, but also funding the second and third sort of tiers. I mean, you've actually got to have about three or four funding strategies in place because you've got to be thinking right. four years out, eight years out. I mean, I'm aware that High Performance Sport New Zealand is even looking at 2032 very much in terms of right. how they solve that. So, look, I think we probably do need to, to look at it, this Olympics and, and enjoy it. You only have to look at the medal table to see some very good countries that were way down the table below mm. us. I mean, I think mm. Spain might have been one that I spotted at one point with, with very few medals. And I was just thinking, hang on, what, like these are big sporting countries. So, no, I think, you know, the other thing with the Olympic medal tables is it can be a bit deceiving around the sort of sports. Obviously, there's clearly some sports that, that win multiple medals. I mean, swimming has always been a bit of an outlier for that, for countries that are good at it, Australia included. You know, we had a couple of people here, well, particularly the rowers and, the, and Lisa Carrington, who won multiple medals. It's not normal to win multiple medals. So, mm. no, I think we've got to enjoy it, but also be realistic that it might be, you know, eight or 12 years. And some of those athletes, we've just been bloody lucky to live at a time when the, the Bonds, yeah. the Carringtons, et cetera, have all been available at, or sorry, mm. available, sorry, participating mm. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, on to. On to the PGA. So better talk a little bit of golf, given we're a golf podcast. Um, St. Jude Classic, the, the WGC event. Um, Abe Anser, seemingly one of the good guys on tour, finally broke through in a three-way playoff. Yet again, another playoff. Get Sam Burns and Hideki. Uh, I I didn't watch a ton of it. I watched it. I did watch the playoff, so I, I caught Sam Burns' putt, which obviously was a bit of a a heartbreaker. Um, probably the biggest story of the week, though, and I'm keen to know what you guys thought, but was the uh, the Bryson Harris English kind of combined collapse over the final nine holes from what I've uh, managed to pick up that was nothing short of a disaster. Oh, boy. Um, I might jump in first, guys. I watched most of the final round. Both um, They both had just a meltdown of epic proportions on the back nine um, for, for different reasons. They were both put on the clock. Um, eh, oh, man. Yeah. I don't blame Harris English or Bryson DeChambeau directly because um, they're just playing to the rules. But, man, the slow play on the PGA Tour is it is just the bane of my life. I, I cannot stand slow play. Um, and the attitude of the players, yeah, it's just shocking. To me, it's always been poor, but the tours just enable it. You know, they just refuse to do anything meaningful about it. And I, I would love to, for the day when they get something more than a, a slap on the tick on the wrist with a wet, wet bus ticket. I yeah. really want to see some hard action taken against these guys. I, I, we we spoke offline. I don't know if you saw the the interview with Harris English after the after the the round um, and his attitude was not I need to learn to adapt to playing quicker. It was I need to learn to play slower. He he is he was just totally oblivious to being part of the problem. I just yeah, it really bugs me. Yeah, from what I did and you guys might know more, obviously there was a couple of incidents on the front nine. Bryson had a it seems to be a poor Bryson. He can't escape being part in the middle of basically every dramatic scenario on the PGA tour, but he had a couple of out of bounds incidents when uh time was needed to sort those out, but then they were kind of put on the clock subsequently after that to hurry up, and I believe they'd lost a hole and a half. I mean, I have no sympathy either. I think the PGA Tour has a, a massive role to play in the speed of golf. I think they must set an example for for others to follow. That golf needs to be a you know, four, four-and-a-half-hour sport at the very most, so I have no sympathy. I think the problem of how to play like the way play has been sort of self-created in the sense of the time they take if all of a sudden you were told that golf should take three hours and you didn't know anything different, I'm sure you could play in three. So, so you know, I, I mean, where to next with slow, slow play for you, Vaughn? Do the PAGA just have to be as harsh as they were? Well, they need to they need to man up. Um, the European Tours got a pretty simple mandate mandate on it um, that there is no slow play, and the players have accepted that a couple of years ago, and you never hear anything out of Europe about it. Um, and they were going to find them. They were going to take shots off them. So it just it stopped being a thing. But yet we talk about it on the PGA Tour all the time. And poor old Bryson, he obviously is the poster child for, for slow play. There's, 
there's just no excuse for it. Um, no. I know that they're pay, playing for big money. I totally, totally accept that. But why not just start, like you say, start taking the money out of their back pockets and mm-hmm. not small money, to take big money off them. Yep. It's, it's the only way. And it yep. will stop it immediately. So, And this is the thing, Vaughan. They could stop it tomorrow if yep. they really wanted to tomorrow. So I was thinking today about it again. So here's an idea. Every player is on the clock all the time. And it's as simple as putting a GPS device on their bag. When they tee off, they push a button or the caddy pushes a button. They walk to their ball. They arrive at the ball. The caddy pushes the button. It starts timing the shot. They, when, they play their, when they've played their shot, he pushes a button. You just walk on. Every shot is timed. What the, the walk between the holes is timed. The walk between the shots is timed. And they have an allowance. If they get over that allowance, they get fined or they start losing shots. You can, you, if your ball goes near and out of bounds or you need a ruling, you have a pause button. You hit the pause button, the rules official comes in. You're still on the clock, but it's, you've just paused it. They, oh, look, I agree. And I think where this is all be done. Fun, fundamentally wrong is, you know, I spent um, a portion of today, you know, looking around golf sites, reading articles about the tournament. And I'd say 75% of them weren't focused on Abraham Answer, like we say, a real good guy um, winning his first PGA Tour. It's talking about Bryson and his slow play and he's being heckled again. And I'm like, surely this isn't what what the PGA Tour and watching golf is all about. It's about celebrating this this guy who's had his first tournament. Yet that's not what's being celebrated. It's yep. the slow play. It yeah. just makes no it makes no sense to me that these are good headlines. Yeah. It's How not. about old poor old Bryson? I mean, the guy it feels like it's going from an being interesting to actually being a little bit boring to me. The fact that the storylines are revolving around him now. I'm not sure that he necessarily has meant it to happen like this, but from what I understand, half the reason he was backing away was golfers yelling out Brooksy, that old debate again. Does something need to change? Does he need to embrace it and try to get the monkey off his back? Does, does the tour need to talk to Brooks and try to get him sorted out? I mean, I think it's becoming quite a distraction. I actually think it's getting a bit boring, the whole the whole story now. And, and I don't know, I just something has to change. And my personal thoughts is that Bryson may need to actually... Uh, embrace fans a little bit more and, and try to uh, enjoy the moment because something's got to change or well, that guy's going to live a, a tortured genius of a golfing career, I believe. Yeah, you've got to... Well, he's got two choices, doesn't he? It's embrace the fans and start doing, whether it, whether it's real or not, something to improve his, his public profile. Or you embrace the heel and you go full heel and you just be the biggest asshole the world's ever seen. Oh. But if you're going to go down that route, you've got to, you've got to have some pretty broad shoulders, not just physically, but mentally. You better have some broad shoulders because he's, he's going to wear it big time and yeah. bigger than what he's currently wearing it. And I think the cracks are starting to show. I agree. Yeah, I, I, he needs to show some humility and some kind of self-deprecation. Really, yeah. That's the to me. That's the only way he gets away. He gets away from this. Otherwise, it's just going to get worse. And I have to say, I really don't haven't seen any indication that he's got that in him. You know, in fact, the opposite seems to apply. Mm-hmm. Take you know, you take the, the the case he made for the caddy de- departure that it was all planned, that the guy walking out on the morning of the tournament, you know, wasn't wasn't unusual at all, and that nobody should read anything into it. The driver comments, the not calling for, he's almost gone out of his way to alienate himself with the media fans. And other players, you know, it's just, to me, it's just such a lack of self-awareness. But, yeah, I, I just, I'd love to, love to say that, that it's, um, that he's going to sort of kind of get the fans back on full board. But I just can't see how he's going to do it, to be honest. I and, think he, I think he has a way. I'll, I'll jump out and say it. I think okay. the most important event for him in his mm-hmm. career is the upcoming Ryder Cup. I think that is his window to be a new Bryson. Uh, he, mm-hmm. Ryder Cup, home soil. He'll be in the US team, I assume, quite easily based mm. on rankings, if not already. Mm. I think that is his moment where he needs to work with the fans and become, call it what you wish, probably the Patrick Reed type experience of, of, mm. of being with the fans. I think that event could be the most important event. It could also be an event where him and Brooks could maybe kind of figure something out. I'm not sure if Brooks is interested in that, but I think that event could be an absolute critical event for his career in terms of, of deflecting what's happening and turning it around. So... Not yeah, quite sure right. how you do it, but that is. I the hadn't considered that, but I, yeah, you're certainly right. 
that's a good call. But yeah. so you don't think that my, my option of him going full heel and waiting for Brooks Kipka on the 18th with a chair <laughs> shot to the back of the shoulders <laughs> yeah. would would not be a goer. I do not think so. I think he's going to go full Undertaker. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then exactly. he comes out with a European top underneath. Exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, uh, there was a double event on the PGO Tour this week too, boys. The, the bar, a Barracuda. I don't know. Exactly, probably don't even know how you pronounce it. I assume it's Barracuda. It could be something else. But uh, Eric Van Royen, does anyone care? Is there anything to talk about? The only thing I thought was interesting is it's one of the few events on, on the tour where they play with a different format, the modified Stableford. We've discussed that many a time that we love these modified format events. Um, also, I mean, I think more of it in these in-between weeks, but other than giving these guys a bit more golf, is does it matter? Any observations for you guys? Nah. I, I just, I'd like to see this modified Stableford tournament not be an alternate event and be actually a full event rather than, you know, kind of cast to the shadows. How are you going to induce excitement about a different type of format if you continually push it to the back as an afterthought. So I'd just like to see them bring it bring it forward and not make it an alternate event and give it a bit more of a chance. That'd be my only, my only take on it. Yeah, that was my first take too, is I'd, I'd like to see it on a week where it's not clashing with a lot of other things so I can enjoy it a bit more. My other take was um, good win for Eric Van Rooyen, but unfortunately that also was a meant for meant that it was a win for those bloody horrendous parachute pants that he's been wearing. I don't know if you guys have seen those, but they're in a, in a, in a sport known for its fashion crimes. Um, those sort of tracksuit track bottom slash golf pants that him and Ricky Fowler and a few others have been wearing are just a crime. I'm impressed about your, your knowledge of fashion. I didn't even know he was wearing something like this. Oh, you're you're showing yourself it, you'll, you'll, you'll see them if you... If, You'll know what I'm talking about if you've ever seen them. They're horrendous. Oh, I'm so, excited yeah. to Google this post. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah, a couple yeah. of other interesting notes yeah. from the week. Cam Smith's 18, uh, 18 oh. putts in a round. We, the question was asked today, how many have we? do we think we've had as a lowest number? I mean, 18 doesn't even seem real to me. I believe he had, what, three or four chippins? Um, I mean, what do you guys think for an amateur golfer? I mean, what do you think your lowest would be on a round? If I had 20, I, I, 25 or 26, I maybe, on the best ever. I mean, I, I sort of was thinking about this on my drive home, and I, I was kind of came up with a number going, I probably have been below 30, but I, I wouldn't have thought it would be much. Mm. I mean, I kind of do the numbers thinking, I've definitely had rounds with six or seven up and downs in them, but mm. I'm sure there was probably two or three three parts mixed in there. So you kind of go, well, maybe 28, 29 at the very best. I can't imagine there's been too many days where I've gone, lower than that I mean 18 doesn't even seem real I mean it's probably a reflection of maybe not playing amazing because I imagine he's got you must have a few chip-ins like we, we know he had a few chip-ins or a few up and downs in fact if you play really good golf it's almost impossible if you're in greens and regulation but uh what yeah. do you think you've done Vaughn I, I do actually know for I used to sadly keep golf statistics on, on, an, on an old app so I went back through today and had a look through every single round I've pretty much played in the last 10 years. And on the 19th of November 2017, when I smoked my way around uh, Bottle Lake for a stunning four under par 66, I had 22 pars, 22 putts, um, which I can remember that round. I had three chippings. So, but outside of that, literally everything else is in the late 20s, early 30s. So that was a rarity. I think for a pro to have 18 putts, I mean, it's outstanding, but they've also got to miss a lot of greens too. Yes. Um, because yep. you, you've got you've got to be close, but you've got to be missing a lot of greens. Because, I mean, you cannot, I know in Cam Smith's case, he had three chippings, but you can't one putt 18 greens. It's just, statistically, it's just not possible. Um, so you must have missed a lot of greens. And, and this, that um, TPC Southwind has small greens too. So that's, that's quite feasible um, yes. for him to do that. But what a phenomenal effort. Having said that, um, it was also erased by one of the biggest brain explosions <laughs> I've ever seen on 18. What the hell was he doing trying to, I mean, as amateurs, we've all tried to play the million dollar shot. Every round. On many occasions, possibly every round. <laughs> and it very rarely comes off. But for a guy like that who needed a par to get into the playoff, gets it in the trees. And it's one thing to, to think you've got a window. There was not a window. There, there wouldn't have been a postage stamp if he could hit that ball through. And, as shown by the fact that it ricocheted off the tree and went OB. And then he pr- proceeds 
to chip it out and nearly hold the thing anyways, proving that he could have done it the other way. Just just a total brain explosion. Well, I would probably have to blame the caddy in that instance. I mean, yeah. we, we talk about the caddy's role, and sometimes we say it's important, and sometimes we're not. But I think in that instance, the caddy has to step up. So, yeah, I, I, do, I don't know enough about whether he thought he – obviously, he clearly thought he hadn't shot. But, uh, look, I've, I'm sure we've all been there where we've um, had a go at the uh, the miracle shot between two two uh, trees when we've just missed the fairway by about 50 metres, and somehow we think we can hit it between about 30 centimetres. And uh, yeah. I guess we don't have $2.5 million on the line at that time. No. Yeah, hey, it, was the ultimate, it was the ultimate tin cup shot. He of really course. was trying to produce something out of nowhere. And yeah. hey, I give him full credit for having a crack, but I just, with the ability that those guys have with a wedge in hand mm. to be able to get up and in, to at worst put yourself in a, in a playoff, it wasn't, it wasn't a good decision. Just no. plain and simple. But he is a golfer that seems to be knocking on the door of something better. Mm. Where he does yeah. seem to be close. Mm. Yeah. Hey, a um, couple of other things on the PGA Tour this week, which I took interest in. The first one was the schedule for the 21-22 season. A little bit more cooperation with the European Tour, a few more co-sanctioned events. We signaled it a couple of weeks ago with the Scottish Open. Um, a, a little bit of cooperation around allowing Europeans to come and play in some of those um, alternate field events, certainly a middle finger to the, the Saudi kind of group in terms of a uh, few less WGC events, which plays against the Asian tour who, who look forward to those events. And I know they're tied up with the Saudis. So I, I just felt like probably the only defense that the European tour and the PGA had was to work together. And it seems like that is the path they're going down, but I'm not sure what you guys thought of the, of the schedule. I was really pleased to see that that um, development with the Scottish and the Irish Opens and this sort of development of a possible sort of three-week swing, including the Open Championship. I think uh, from a golf fan's point of view, we need the European and PGA Tours to work more closely together to get more interesting tournaments and formats in those off weeks when there aren't majors. Um, I'd love to see like a, almost a combined tour with a sort of Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3 events each week, like, a bit like they do in tennis. And you could have like a, your tier one could be maybe the top PGA or European tour event of the week. The tier two could be the alternate. And then the tier three could be like your corn fairy or challenge tour sort of thing. And it gives, it, I think it gives the, the, the players more variety of courses to play, but it's certainly from a fan's point of view and a viewer's point of view, it just makes life much more interesting. Yeah. I lo- love it. Big fan. Um, I was excited to see that the Scottish Open basically is has FedEx Cup points, the equivalent mm. of um, a WGC event. So that it's not just a normal run-of-the-mill event. It's that next tier up, but just below the majors. Kudos. I, I couldn't be any happier to, to see that being the case. And Echo, or agree with all your thoughts. Now, the PGA playoffs start next week. So we've got one more week to go, uh, the Wyndham Championship yeah. before then. But I want one name, me and one name each. Who is going to be this year's PGA playoffs, the FedEx Cup champion? Vaughan. Rory. Rory McIlroy. Vaughan for you, Grant. Vaughan? Uh, Colin Morikawa. I'm going DJ. I think he's he's been a bit quiet the last few weeks. I think he's going to come back and come back with vigor. And as a man who has two DJ picks in our, in our competition, Vaughan, that is how I'm going to win this thing. Like hey, um, like one last topical event from the week, which we all were having a laugh about today. But um, Ho Sung Choi, who, who's the name may ring a bell. He's the golfer from the Korean golfer who has played on the PGA Tour for a few events with the ridiculous swing where he kind of does a full 360 pirouette. Uh, I believe he was actually doing quite well in the tournament. Might have been in the final group coming down the uh, the or in the last round certainly in a South Korean event. So I'm sure he wasn't playing for peanuts. Probably a decent pay down the line. He had a uh, an air swing. He, he hit the ground about I don't know probably looked like two feet behind the ball and proceeded to miss the ball. Probably for a pro, pretty embarrassing. Uh, for a man with his swing, probably not hard to imagine at all. But um, the question came up today when we were having a laugh at that: is what is our most embarrassing golf shots? Uh, in time and I thought it was a topic well worth bringing up on the podcast because I know we've all got a couple of interesting stories so Grant what are you what's your most embarrassing golf swing that you can think of or go shot ah so Titterangi the first tee the first time I ever played there for anybody who hasn't been to Titterangi it's quite one of the probably the most better respected courses in Auckland um probably one of the more traditional ones, I guess, teeing off in the afternoon with a mate. There was a whole bunch of people around the first tee or teeing off going into the back nine. So 
one of those situations where the pressure is immense and I just cold topped it off the tee on the first and it literally went about an inch and a half. <laughs> I, it was, I was just absolutely mortified. I just kept my head down, reached down, picked the ball up, put it back on the tee again, stood there and smashed one that almost drove the first green um, and just basically walked off, head down, made eye contact with nobody at all, grabbed hold of my trundle and walked away, yeah, and just absolutely mortified. Brilliant. Yeah, yep. that's Born. probably the most, certainly the most embarrassing, I think. Uh, most embarrassing one for me. I cannot remember the hole uh, that it was at, but it was at uh, Green Acres Golf Club in uh, Nelson. And it was a fairly short par four, which I had great illusions of potentially driving. And it was a big dog leg right to left, which really suited, suited my eye. And I took an almighty swing at this bad boy. And I managed to hit it right off the toe of the driver, actually the heel of the driver. And I hit the woman's marker uh, about 10 metres in front of me at quite a rate. And it actually bounced behind me, about 30 metres behind me into a bush, uh, which was, yeah, that was uh, fairly embarrassing. And the three people I'm playing with, actually, what made it worse is none of them actually said anything. They knew how, uh, how bad it was. I'd rather they'd laugh at me or, or yeah. given me some some uh, tickle, but, yeah, they didn't say anything at all. I'm pretty sure I made a fairly large score on that hole. So, yeah, that was pretty bad. It's actually, you're 100% true. When you get nothing from your playing partners, they just feel sorry for you. It's, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, it's, it's far worse. Side. Laugh at me. Laugh. Yes. Yeah. Well, my, I had two that came to mind, and uh, the Only first two. one, well, many, but two that, that certainly stand out. First one uh, happened uh, probably 10 years ago at Whitford Golf Course, the old pro shop to the left of the first tee. I managed to somehow... Uh, it wouldn't even be fair to say snap hook because it was probably only about 10 metres in front of the tee. But somehow I, I managed to hit the ball damn near between my legs um, and straight into the pro shop door. So I hit it through the door into the pro shop off the first tee. Um, <laughs> lucky I didn't kill someone. It bounced around in there. I didn't even go in and click my ball. I just kind of, no one seemed to be yelling at me. So I just walked down the first tee and, and just don't know I even played the hole. So it must have travelled it. Oh, I mean, it was almost immediately to the side. I still don't know how I did it. Um also broke a, a ranch slider on a house at Remuera on hole nine. Dog leg, pretty much a 90-degree dog leg. Lovely sitting in the fairway. Managed to yank a ball left straight through some guy's ranch slider and had to go and say sorry to him. Um, never, ever played that hole well after that, as long as I remember there. I never had confidence to go at that green. I always put it right out to the right. So uh, those two stand out for me. I mean, they're all fun and games. I'm sure people that live on golf courses uh, experience many a ball hitting their roof and are probably quite used to it, but there's always that unnervy feeling when you hear that clang on a roof when you just hope that you haven't killed someone. I've the, best one, the, the best one I've actually seen was I was uh, playing at uh, Rusley in Christchurch, um, and there's a particularly long par five there with um, some water just before the green, and we were playing in an Ambrose uh, charity event of some description. I would say that the guy we were playing with probably wasn't a natural golfer, and we were maybe 100, 120 metres out from the pin. And he, we, let, we were letting him go first because really his shot was of no relevance whatsoever. And he, he swung mightily at the ball and he actually let go of the club. And the club travelled a good 30 to 40 metres directly left into the middle of the lake. One of the funniest things I think I've ever seen in my life. And we all hit bad shots after that because we couldn't stop laughing for about the next 20 minutes of how bad it was um, because he couldn't actually get in to get the club out. So... Yeah, that was that was a, a ripper too. Well, one of my regular playing partners that that Casey's mentioned previously on the on the podcast, Davo, um, a few months ago, played a wedge shot into a green that he was very very unhappy with and threw his wedge in the air, uh, and it proceeded to stay up a pine tree. He, I mean, when I say up a pine tree, I'm talking like thirty meters up a pine <laughs> tree. He um, he had to finish the round, go home. Uh, have some lunch, wait a while, and then tell his wife he was going for a walk, um, <laughs> which immediately aroused suspicion because the guy's never gone for a voluntary walk in his life. Um, went back to the golf course with a long piece of rope with a hammer tied to the end of it and proceeded to spend the next 45 minutes trying to throw this hammer into the tree um, to get his club club out, much to the um, confusion of, of a number of groups of Korean golfers who were going past at the time, having no idea what this man madman was doing. 
um, dislodging pine cones and, and various branches and other things. So, yeah, that, that, that was fairly embarrassing. Wow, good friend Justin. He certainly still has a couple of clubs <laughs> lodged in uh, Whitford Park trees that have never come down. So uh, yeah. we always used to go past this one particular tree, number three, the par three, and always look up and just wonder if today was the day the club would fall down. And I'm sure it did one day and we never found it, but it was always of much joy to us. Hey, um, anything else pop up for you guys in your week of golf? Anything that, uh, that worth of chat? I did, a, I did not play it. It rained yet again where I am, but... I did go to an Auckland Futures golf event with my young son, Finn. Um, really impressive event down at the Walkworth Range, uh, organised by, I think, Futures Golf as, a, as part of Auckland Golf. Um, they had two or three coaches there, proper professional coaches, but excellent, excellent event. They had special golf clubs for kids, um, big faces on them, big, um, just really easy to hit. They had tennis balls you'd hit, you know, target mats, mini golf etc i just thought it was an amazing event so kudos to futures golf auckland finn had a real blast and he's keen to go along and and try again so i just thought that was a really good way to get into golf in a, in a really i guess non-intimidating fashion so i just wanted to give my nice. kudos to yes. golf did you guys get out on the course i had my uh two-man ambrose on saturday afternoon which was uh, the usual mix of sort of the good the bad and the ugly um we shot level past 70 which was yeah, an adequate effort, I suppose, for, for two guys with a combined handicap sort of, of, of a seven. Um, so, yeah, we, we were nowhere near the prizes, as I mentioned to Casey. Um, a couple of couple of burglars who, who, both on 25, managed to shoot a net 54 and walk away with the prize. So it's not often that, you would, not often that you'd lose to a net 54, so no one really, really seemed to mind that. Yeah. Nice. No, no golf... No golf for me in this week. This weekend, I was in bed with the flu, watching watching golf on TV, and then it snowed. So that pretty much put an put an end to it. Uh, but this weekend, this weekend, two rounds are planned for the Saturday and the Sunday. So I'm expecting to actually have something decent to report back. Wow. Excellent. Now you haven't got a uh, a call up yet for the old man Lakers, Vaughan. I know you're an old man yourself, and you, and you'd oh love to play God. with your mate LeBron, the old man Lakers. What the hell is happening there? Uh, what is happening there? Um, honestly, I'm at a complete loss to know what uh, Rob Polink is doing. And I know you want me to, to blame this all on LeBron, but I'm not convinced that this is of his doing. He is He's pretty the... passionate in his, in his social media. He's defending the team. He wants it. He, it's his team. He's, he's got to be behind this. You do not build a team with LeBron in it. LeBron hasn't approved. I would under any other circumstance 100% believe that. I do not believe that to be the case this particular time. He is the smartest man to potentially ever played the game of basketball. He knows what every other smart basketball person knows, that he and Russell Westbrook cannot coexist in the same lineup together. That It is not humanly possible that they can make this work. They are headed for a disaster. I have my own conspiracy theory that there's a preordained trade somewhere in the works uh, for Russell Westbrook that the Lakers have have got. I don't know who that's with. I'm praying it's Portland and Damian Lillard, but there is no way this works. There's there's no the ceiling of this team is a first round loss. That is it. That's it. Well, Awful. it does. I mean, look, if, if that is the truth and, and you are right, then you are some sort of rain man to predict that. But it's certainly the Lakers and, and LeBron seem to be going all out to promote uh, Westbrook as part of the solution. So hard to say. Very old team. I think we looked at the stats, right? Two or three years older probably than the, the next youngest team to have, uh, have won a – the next oldest team, sorry, to have won a championship. So it seems to be a very interesting science experiment with probably little chance of working. The NBA is dictated by who is healthy when it comes to the important games of the year. And I mean this with all due respect to Milwaukee and all those Milwaukee Bucks fans out there, but they were not winning the NBA championship this year if pretty much every other team didn't fall over with injuries. And that's just the way it is. And if you go back the last, I think, probably four of the last five years, the championship has been decided by who's the last man standing with health rather than who's got the best players. And the age of the Lakers does not bode well for, for health. I hate to say it. So, yeah, I can't see it working. Absolutely. Um, this she brings up an interesting question that we were discussing uh, as a bunch of mates over the weekend. But, you know, think talking about other sports, 
if you could be world class at any sport, you know, whether it be a world champion, Olympic gold medal winner, you know, earning tons of money, what sport would you guys pick in hindsight? We're all older gentlemen now who are not going to be uh, winning world titles anymore, but what would you guys pick? Cricket for me. I always loved playing the game, was never very good. Fancied myself as kind of a dashing left-hander. Left-handed sort of, you know, opening batsman, great batch, Wayne Phillips mould. Um, and, yeah, maybe on a very rare occasion I might have I might have shown some limited ability, but that's the one for me, uh, particularly in, in modern times, because you can earn a good good living at it all over the world in, in variety of formats, but also because cricketers tend to be good golfers too. There we go. Makes sense. Mm. Nice. What about you, Casey? Oh, well, about me? Well, I... I thought about this long and hard, and I, I, I always come back to a sport where you can make a dramatic entrance. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's my love of wrestling as a child, but the thought of the music coming on and the player walking out, I just it has to be a sport with a big entrance. So the two that came up to my, my mind, one was a, um, a closing pitcher in baseball. So mm. coming in for the ninth innings, your music blaring, basically coming in to close the game for your team. I thought that would be pretty cool. Um, or, and look, I'm not a violent man at all. In fact, I've never been in a fight in my life, but a, a, like a heavyweight boxer, like a true heavyweight coming out to a world championship fight. Um, probably not that one in the sense that you're probably going to have a mushed brain by the time it's all over. So I'll pick baseball. But look, baseball, lots of money. Come out in the ninth innings as a closer. Quite a specialist job, but basically a high-pressure, intensive job. And that one would be up there for me. Um, it's something I would enjoy. Nice. Well, the obvious answer is, is golf, but I'm gonna, I'll take that one out of it. And I'll go back to what my dad said to me when I was a, a young fella. And he said to me that the two sports you always want to follow and that should, should be the pinnacle of all sports is to be the 100-meter champion or the heavyweight champion of the world. So I agree mm-hmm. with you on the, on the boxing, boxing mm-hmm. front. Um, I don't like the idea of getting punched in the face so much. Uh, so I better be world-class so that I don't get punched punched uh so much but yeah if i if i could choose one i'd be an unbelievable sprinter that's that is what i would choose uh if i could be the uh the next usain bolt that would have been quite awesome i think those i mean you you've highlighted with the same but one interesting when you're actually not just tactically but you are the fastest person on the planet i think that sort of stuff is pretty cool yeah. Um, when you know you've run the fastest 100 metres ever, as he had, and probably will hold that for quite some time. I hear what you're saying, that, that absolute athletic, um, incredible achievement. But then I also can't underestimate making a ton of money. I think if you can pick a sport where you can make a lot of money, I, I tend to think that's a pretty cool uh, thing to do too. Um, right, a couple of golf questions to end up this week um, from our good golfing friends. So what's the first question? So... What is the the biggest thing you wish you knew when you started golf that you know now? What comes to mind? How hard it is. How hard the different aspects of the game of golf are. As in hitting the ball off the tee versus chipping the ball versus putting the ball. Uh, I just naturally just went out there and just hit the ball and hit the ball exactly the same. I wish that I had known the basic principles that there was really three completely different separate elements to the game and you needed to respect and train completely different for all three of them. That would be the thing that I would go back and want to do better. So you're saying you you wanted to know that so you would have trained more or so you wouldn't have? So I would have trained more instead of just gone out there and just probably gone and hit drivers and and three irons uh, at a driving range. Or to be fair, I was lucky. I lived beside a golf course um, and we had a farm, so I had a, a lot of area. And I would just go out and hit balls. I never really spent any time chipping or putting. I just wanted to hit the ball. Um, if I could go back, I would have spent – I would have split my time and spent half my time chipping and putting as well and hitting shots out of the bunker, the full range. Makes perfect sense. Grant? Yeah, a couple of things. So um, things that I wish someone had told me when I first started the game. The first one would be stop playing left-handed, turn around and play right-handed <laughs> because it would make life a hell of a lot easier when you want to buy equipment. That's the first thing. Um, the second one, and it, it, it's a, it probably applies to a lot of things in life, I guess, but that is just play your own game. Don't be intimidated by other people you're playing with. Um, 
or yeah, or I mean, it's not so bad now, but particularly it used to be maybe the stuffiness of things. Don't let it, don't let that get to you. Just play your own game and enjoy it. Um, don't be intimidated. Um, and I guess the one thing that I would say to anybody taking the game up when they start playing it at a level where you, you're playing competitions is never ask for a gimme. There is that <laughs> that really gets my goat. I can't just it just winds me up. That I will never ever give a gimme to anybody who asks for one. No, well, that's a uh, it's an interesting observation. I hadn't really thought about that. My one is is just that no one cares about your score, really. Um, no, I think exactly. the amount of rounds I've wasted where I've come off feeling so bloody disappointed and angry and frustrated and swearing and God knows what else, and, mm. and just the fact that no one cares. I mean, unless you get to a point where people are looking up your scores on the internet, which is you know 0.01% of the golfing world, no one cares. And I just wish I'd probably mm. known that because I probably have wasted – some very good golf rounds around the world at really interesting courses feeling deflated. So probably that it's really only been the last couple of years when I've probably come to that, um, that way of thinking. Interestingly, Grant, you mentioned the left-handed thing. My young son, Finn four is both swinging right and left-handed at the moment in kind of equal doses. I thought he was a lefty, mm. but now he's swinging a little bit of both And the pros uh, from the weekend. Weren't too worried. They just said, let him swing both, which is a really interesting uh, oh, and place. Look, these days, I, I don't think it would matter either way because the equipment equipment is so much better. But man, I remember I remember back, you know, twenty five or more years ago, buying trying to buy a set of clubs, and you you got what you were given basically when, as a left hander, and you were and you were thankful that they had anything full stop really. So yeah, things things have got much better. But yeah, back then it wasn't great. Interesting. Hey, um, last last golf question of the week, and I thought this was an interesting one. Uh, two because it, it really creates some creative thought. But um, what format slash rules would you need to have in place in a one-on-one game to beat John Rahm? And just we'll call it a, a stroke or match play. You can decide the format. But what format or rules would you need to stand a chance of beating the world number one with the level of ability you are, Vaughan? Man, I've really struggled to come up with a good answer in this, and I'm disappointed that I haven't come up with a good answer. Um, I, my theory is I want to keep him out on the courses as long as is humanly possible. So therefore, match play isn't going to probably work for me. For it could be over pretty quickly. So I've decided that I'm going to go with a stroke play format. Um, and how I'm going to get that, he's going to give me however many shots, let's just say two shots, three shots a hole. But the element that I'm going to bring into it, I think that can swing it in my advantage, is we're going to add a drinking element. Uh, yes. Into, <laughs> we're going to add a drinking element into it, and I'm hoping that the big Spaniard can't drink as much as I can. Hey, if, if he can, fair play to him, I'm going to get absolutely smashed out there, and he's going to beat me anyway. But I'm going to bring in some type of uh, drinking element where if he... I don't know what it is. If he if he two parts, if he hits a ball in a bunker, if he hits a tree, there's some type of penalty for him to have to take a drink. And hopefully we're not making it down the 18th because he's going to be so hammered, he's not going to be able to play it. And I think that's my best chance is some dirty old drinking. I like it. I think it's the best answer I could have imagined. <laughs> Beat him in that format. Grant? Oh, I love it. Yeah, so I've got there's four rules that he has to play by. So we're, pl- it's an, we're playing an 18-hole match play event. We play off handicap, so he gives me 14 shots. He can play off scratch. I'll play off 14. So I get 14 shots. He plays the back tees. I play the front tees. So that's the first two rules. Third rule, I get to play individual Ambrose. So I get two goes at every shot and get Ooh. to pick the best one. Nice. And for the, and the fourth rule, for every hole we half, he has to take a club out of his bag that of his choice. For every hole I win... I get to choose the club that he has to take out of his bag. So in theory, if in theory, if I can get a few wins early on, I could get him down to, you know, maybe 10, nine, eight clubs. I still think, you know, that that would probably be enough for him. But if I could get the driver, the three wood and a few other clubs out of the, out of the bag and he's got to play off the back tees, who knows? That's a great answer. I like it. I think I, I mean, my, my answer was about mulligans. I think there was interesting, uh, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but Dave Portnoy from uh, Barstool Sports in America had a unlimited mulligans round of golf at the US Open, Shinnecock Hills, and, and I think he played four under. And he looked like that tree unlimited mulligans. Um, I think there might have been a time restriction of 30 minutes a hole or something like that, but he had many people running around getting balls. I think it would be a hell of an interesting game if you had 
20 mulligans a hole, or maybe not 20, maybe say 10 mulligans a hole, whether you could essentially birdie every hole with 10 mulligans. Um, and I'll put 10 out there. I want it to be a competition, but me versus John Rahm, um, obviously we couldn't play a long course because they were playing to his favour. So I'm talking the white tees, me versus John Rahm, I get 10 mulligans a hole and I can basically use them however I wish. I'd like to think there wouldn't be too many holes that I wouldn't have stand a reasonable chance of making birdie on. As long as I made, I don't know, seven or eight birdies on the round, I think I stand an interesting chance. So me versus John, but I get 10 mulligans a hole is my format. I like it. And we, we need to start bombarding him, I think, on, on Twitter to get him to sign up to this format. Yes, well, look, I will give the four-play guys some credit too. They've been playing a lot of interesting matches versus pros, four-man scrambles, etc. And, and maybe that is the next step for our golf podcast is to actually get out together. Vaughan, you're coming up to Auckland in a couple of weeks, right? Maybe we, uh, yes. we'll have a practice round as a, as a threesome and we'll devise Definitely. a strategy to get a New Zealand pro out there to, um, to beat us. I think that the hardest thing would be picking the course that, that both is, is interesting and gives us a chance because we don't want to play in a mud course, but also anything with length. I just think he's going to kill you, right? It doesn't matter how many advantages. If you have to play off a similar length to him, it doesn't matter if you take half the clubs out of his bag. As long as he can hit something, he'll hit it 100 yards further than we will. So um, tough, tough day out. Um, right, boys, we're at the end of the, the sh- week's show. Anything on the schedule too? But what about you guys? What else is happening in the sporting world that's worth a mention? Oh, no, it feels... Uh, now that the Olympics is, uh, is done, it kind of is a bit of a... I don't know. It's like a, a long, deep breath to think about what is uh, what's next on the horizon. I tell you, what I did enjoy watching was um, Bangladesh beating Australia four-one in the T Twenty series. Yeah. They rolled, they rolled uh, Australia this morning for sixty-two. Sixty-two. How good is that? No, Australia's uh, lost what five series in a row in twenty twenty. They're in a right rebel. Oh, it's fantastic. Mm. Hey, look. Um, you know, there's nothing better than seeing New Zealand win or Australia lose. So that was probably my highlight of the of the last few days outside of all the Olympic action. Yeah, I I enjoyed seeing the Warriors um, get another win this weekend, despite the the madcap antics of um, one of their props. Um, that was that was good to see. But yeah, that, that post the Olympics, things are a bit of a letdown. I got to say, I, I could not generate an ounce of interest in the All Blacks game on the weekend. Um, I don't know about you, Casey. You're probably a bigger rugby fan than me. Nah, look, I was about to bring up the same thing, man. I think rugby's in trouble. I think rugby's mm. in real trouble in New Zealand. Mm. I'm a, a red-blooded New Zealand male, played the game for years. I mean, yes, I'll get up for the odd big all-black test, but my interest in rugby is waning fast. And yeah. I think it's a... I don't necessarily think it's rugby's fault. I mean, I think they're, they're putting out the best product they probably can, but we could debate this long into the night about what rugby has to do, and we're not a rugby podcast, but... I think rugby's got major issues. I think the World Cup will be an interesting event, but those in-between events for them just become less and less important to me. And the product we're getting served up feels kind of similar week in, week out. I just, I'm not buying it at the moment. I'm just not finding it as much must-watch TV. I I was on, I was actually at home, and I I think I watched some other TV for a fair bit of it. I almost forgot it was on. So when that's me and that's what I'm doing as a red-blooded New Zealand male in theory, I, I do worry for the sport. Mm. Yeah, well, I was watching track cycling and then sort of remembered late that it was on, switched over, watched about 10 minutes and then switched back to the track cycling. And then we weren't even winning medals in the track cycling. So that's how, about how interested I was in it. Yeah, like I'm the same. I was watching the track cycling and flicking to the NRL games. Mm. Um, I, to be honest, I had very little interest in it. And I know that uh, a good portion of my mates are, are just – they feel saturated by it and they've felt saturated by it for a very long time. Um, That being said, I tell you what I do enjoy on the rugby front. I really enjoy the first 15 um, high school stuff that Mm. is and college rugby. Mm. I I don't know what it is about it. It's just, it's just more exciting. I I really do enjoy that, but yeah, the professional side of it, I've struggled with it for quite a while now to to be honest. I think it's the, do you think it's, well, or to it, I think it's the purity of it, Vaughan. And it's we. I know we had sort of this discussion a little bit offline, um, and I was bemoaning that the the death knell of, of club rugby, which is what I used to love, and I think college mm. rugby has taken over for a lot of people now from maybe the ones who used to enjoy club rugby because it is it's it's kind of the the last bastion of the amateur rugby game that that perhaps a lot of people remember and yearn for. 
I think, well, yeah, the purity of it and just the excitement. I I suppose that's the problem with the professional rugby game in New Zealand. It feels a bit contrived. And Mm. whilst the players are there to put on a product, it's just hard to believe they really care with the exception of the All Blacks, which is, uh, I guess, one of the problems that rugby's got to figure out a solution for. Yeah, Mm. and that's what it comes down to is when you've got kids playing for their school and playing for the pride of their school and the people on the sideline are there for the pride of the school, that's what generates the passion. When you've got, for an ex- as an example, a Canterbury Crusaders team that's full of players that they've poached from every other union in the country, um, you know, it, it's a pretty understandable why there's not a lot of passion maybe in that team or from anybody else around the country who looks at those players and thinks, well, why aren't they playing where I live? Absolutely. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I mean, one other thing the, the free membership at Bottle Lake that, that keeps getting offer, offered is probably what's luring them all down there, I guess. But. Oh, I, I would imagine so. It's a, it's a pretty elite club. Um, the other thing I noticed was in that Warriors game, um, we could talk about the guy that uh, is a bit of a hothead, but him aside, how about the fact that Will Chambers of the Cronulla Sharks he just is a guy that manages to needle people week after week after <laughs> week, and he somehow gets away with it and it gets under people's skins. I was thinking today about about um, great sledges of the yeah. game of the world yeah. of sport. Yeah. I'm not saying that he's a great sledger of the world of sport, but could you think of a somebody in the in the golfing world that's a sledger, and could you get away with it in the professional ranks being a sledger? I think the odd slide. Sly comment master sort of a you know something friendly. You could, I think, you could actually, you know, make a sly comment walking down the fairway and actually dropping the right comment at the right time could really irritate players, as we know. When you've just had a bad shot and someone sort of says the wrong thing to you, it makes that shot about a thousand times worse. So, I can't think of that player, but I'm sure that they're out there, and I'm sure a bit of googling would probably reveal there are some people out there mm. who do it well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I couldn't. Nothing came to to mind immediately on the on the sledging on the on the golf course at the at the professional level. Um, it's obviously at our level. There's nothing wrong with the odd sledge now and again. Um, but yeah, at the professional level, I just I just don't ever remember anything ever getting picked up. It'd probably be quite tough with mics everywhere around around the place. Can you imagine if there was a sledge from <laughs> Bryson to Shambo to Harris English on the last round? Man, he'd get crucified for it. Mm. Yeah. Well. I- I know if you took the sledging out of my game on a Saturday morning, there wouldn't be much <laughs> conversation left, to be honest. <laughs> so that's what we go there for. Yeah. Right, I mean, we'll wrap it up. Lots of uh, other sport this week. We didn't uh, didn't tackle some pretty deep, interesting topics going on in New Zealand at the moment regards athletes, mental health and the like. So we may tackle into those next week when we know a little bit more about what's going on. But uh, look, have a good week. Hopefully we will get some golf and I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Want to uh, see if you can take take the title that I stole from Grant. I'm proudly wearing my belt and uh, I look forward to the next challenge. All right, boys. Look forward to next week. Right. Right. See you later. Talk next week. Cheers. All right, guys. See you. See you.